big day yesterday. The no, I know the impeachment is moving forward. That wasn't apparently the big story of the day. The big story of the day that shared news with Trump and the two articles of impeachment is the fact that the USMCA, the new NAFTA, was signed yesterday. And here to talk about it, how does it look for Canada? We're joined by Ian Lee, who is professor at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. Welcome to the show, Ian. Uh, My pleasure, Kelly. All right, let's talk about the USMCA. Is it a good deal? I think so. Um, Let's be clear. Canada needs the United States. Uh, We're one-tenth the size. They're ten times bigger. Our economy for over 100 years became more and more integrated with the U.S., and especially after the signing of NAFTA in 1993 between Mulroney and Bill Clinton, we have become steadily more integrated global supply chains, or at least North American supply chains. And so we, we absolutely must have a free trade agreement with the U.S. And essentially what they did, setting aside sort of the, uh, the, the bluster and so forth, is they updated it's very important updates because when they signed in 1993, it's important to remember we were a completely analog economy. The digital economy didn't exist. E-commerce didn't exist in 1993. Digital banking didn't exist. Digital media didn't exist. A biologic drugs didn't exist. There were whole industries that did not exist. Streaming did not exist. And so they had to update it to reflect all these technological changes in our uh, economy and society. And so... And and at the same time, they dealt with the the Mexican question. And let's put it right on the table. It's a poor country, meaning it's a middle-income country, according to the World Bank, much less wealth and income than Canada or the U.S. And so you've got that huge problem of, you know, that they make far less money and than Canadians and Americans, and their standards are lower, environmental standards, labor standards, and so forth, which gives their firm firms a competitive advantage because their cost structure is lower. Mm-hmm. And so what they were doing with, uh, with uh, that was that uh, with the treaty was updating it to ensure that, ne- that Mexico is addressing this and that there's checks and balances to make sure that Mexico starts to move up the curve towards North American standards. And, and that's, that's good for everyone, right? That's good for workers yeah. in Mexico. That's good for us. Yeah. All right. It's a good news story now, for everybody, Mexico and Canada and the U.S. Let me ask you this, Ian. One of the sticking points was dairy when we were talking about the USMCA when they were in early days of hammering things out. Where do we sit uh, within the uh, dairy industry as far as this deal goes? From everything I, from everything I could read in the revised NAFTA, um, they didn't touch the dairy that negotiated the agreement that was negotiated um, uh, in the you know two years ago. In other words, that was NAFTA 2.0 or the new NAFTA. Well, what they announced yesterday essentially wasn't just a few tweaks at the margin, you know, put in the appendix sort of thing. Uh, that was a full-fledged renegotiation. That's why I'm calling it the new new NAFTA or NAFTA 3.0 mm-hmm. uh, because they made some major changes. But they didn't touch dairy from the previous agreement that was negotiated two, three years ago. Okay, and uh, is is it the does it still protect our our dairy farmers? Because uh, I know there yeah, was legislation. Something, yeah, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's a very small amount. Three or three and a half percent of the dairy market is being opened up to the Americans. So the uh, the dairy market is essentially still protected in Canada. Uh, we're the one of the few countries in the world that actually does that. Uh, other countries, like the Americans, and the dairy farmers claim this, and they're right. The Americans uh, help their farmers through direct subsidies. We help them by restriction of imports into Canada. Uh, you know, economists and trade theorists 
prefer subsidies over restrictions because it's less interventionist in the market. Um, and, but that's the way we've gone. We've gone the supply management route where we restrict foreign imports coming into Canada. Uh, mostly we restrict it. Very small amounts allowed in. So the dairy farmers have kept uh, their, um, the, their system that they've had since uh, 1972. So does that mean that our, our, as far as dairy prices go, we won't notice much change at uh, in the grocery so. stores? Okay, so let's talk about how this affects the USMCA, how it, how it affects the average Canadian. I know there's been some changes to prescription drugs. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's going to affect yes. us? Yeah, the um, the Republic and by the way, the Republicans and the Democrats are on board with these changes by and large, especially as it pertains to Mexico. The one area where there's this clear difference between the Republicans and the Democrats was on biologic drugs. And biologic drugs are a new way of making drugs. They're very high tech. They're very sophisticated. They're very powerful and effective drugs. And they're very expensive drugs. And so what the Republicans proposed and put in the original uh, negotiations two years ago over the objections of the Canadians and the Mexicans, was they extended the patent protection of biologic drugs because the pharmaceutical companies were saying correctly, look, it takes five years to test the product or more, and the patent clock is ticking. And so we can't sell the drug in that first five years, even though it's got patent protection, so we've got to reduce periods. So they wanted uh, the full 10 years uh, to be from the time it actually is approved to go to market. And uh, the Democrats didn't like that, so they demanded that that section be removed or rolled back. And so what that means is that biologics will be coming uh, – it will allow the generic companies to copy the biologic drugs in a shorter period of time, which means the price of biologic drugs will drop sooner rather than later So this is the benefit to those consumers Mm -hmm. that are paying for their own drugs. Which is great news. Yes, it is. Now, is it bad news? Is it bad news when you're talking about drug companies that are that are uh, coming up with new drugs? Like, would they invest less in the long run? That's that's my fear. And Mm -hmm. uh, full disclosure, I do not consult to anybody anywhere, including drug companies or anybody associated with drug companies. But second, full disclosure, I take biologic drugs for my rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, so does my sister. Uh, they're very expensive, three thousand dollars a month. Fortunately, my drug plan at my university pays eighty percent. Very typical. Amazing. Many people and employers in the public service across Canada, federal, provincial, municipal, have similar drug plans that pay eighty percent. They're very effective. Um, uh, that's why people are switching to biologic drugs. My fear is by shortening the, uh, or not allowing it to be extended. This is going to potentially reduce the amount of R&D by drug companies in the future because a drug company, like any company, makes an investment in a plant or a new technology because they think they can make money down the road. And if they can't make money or they're going to make very small amounts of money, then they'll say, hey, I can put my money somewhere else where I'm going to make a better return. On sure. It's not an altruistic uh, you know, enterprise. It's a trade-off. It's mm-hmm. a very delicate balancing act between, on the one hand, keeping drug forces prices affordable, on the other hand, not discouraging innovation and investment. And it's tricky. I'm not sure they struck the right balance because, um, and I'm not sidebarring on the pharmacare debate, but 40, it's not being reported by our parties, and the Liberals or the Greens or the NDP. 42% of all prescription drugs in Canada are already paid for by provincial pharmacare plans for low-income Canadians and seniors. So this idea that there's all kinds of people who can't get their drugs because they're low-income is just simply a, a, a political fraud 
being perpetrated. Well, when you're Canadians. yeah, but you're talking about forty two percent. Is it all? Is it forty two percent of those drugs are being uh, covered fully, or is it forty two percent of of your drugs are being covered? Forty two percent of all the dollars spent in Canada on prescription drugs are being paid for by the provincial ministries of health care, meaning like OHIP in Ontario is paying. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't tweak mm-hmm. those provincial ministries to cover those extraordinary drugs, orphan drugs that cost gazillions of dollars. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be any reforms, but, you know, we're going, we're now talking in the federal parliament, or they're going to be shortly, I should say, talking about giving uh, universal pharmacare, which means giving free drugs to everybody, including medical doctors making a half a million to a million a year, including professors who are well-paid, including public servants who have an excellent pharmaceutical plan in their employers. So instead of going the targeted route and targeting those who still need more help, they're saying, let's give it to everybody, including uh, high-income people and upper-middle-class people who do not need any help whatsoever. So we're going to be diverting scarce resources, and that's why I'm so opposed to universal pharmacare, but I support targeted for Okay, so we're getting into the weeds. I want to get back to because we only have a couple yeah, minutes yeah. here. As always, I could talk yeah. to you for like an hour. We could do a podcast together. <laughs> um, last minute changes to the USMCA uh, dispute resolution ends the ability of one country to block uh, the formation yes, of an yes. arbitration panel when a dispute arises. Is that good, bad for Canada? What? Yes. It's good for Canada. Canada and Mexico had both demanded that in the original negotiations two, three years ago. And what the U.S. was doing was um, on the dispute panels, each country appoints one or two people, okay, and before it can proceed because they're the new judges. And uh, what happened was the U.S. was refusing to appoint their representatives. So the panel could not proceed. Hmm. So it was a sort of a disguised veto of blocking a dispute where a company in Canada uh, felt that the Americans were cheating, so they said, okay, I'm going to file a complaint under the dispute resolution panel. Think of it as a trade court, because that's what it was. And the U.S. were refusing to appoint U.S. judges, so the panel could not proceed to hear the dispute. That trick or technique or whatever you want to call it by the Americans, a loophole, has been removed. So now the trade dispute mechanism, the trade appeal panels, can now work as they're supposed to work. This is good news. Excellent news All right, Canada and Mexico. So not to oversimplify things, but I'm going to ask you a parting question that just involves you giving a thumbs up, thumbs down, sideway yep. thumb. Where would you put the USMCA, the new, new, uh, new NAFTA? The, the new, new, new NAFTA, I give it 100% thumb, two thumbs up, five thumbs up if I had five thumbs. This is a net benefit to Canada. Uh, I mean, I've been teaching this in my class for 30 years, but we've known for 300 years, both theory and practice, that when you liberalize trade rules, the prosperity of the country increases. The richest countries in the world are the Western countries. They they trade the most. Will we see the effects of NAFTA happening uh, immediately, would you say? No, no, it's it's gradual. It's one of those things that takes place over months, years, and many years. But it, it accounts for increasing prosperity over time. Ian, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. All right. Not enough time on this show. Not enough time. Ian Lee, professor at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University, talking about the new USMCA, the new, 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 as he likes to call it, USMCA. It's USMCA 3.0. You're listening to Global News Radio 640 Toronto.